Hey, it's Alyssa Satara. Welcome to the first episode of Haven't Said Enough. In this episode, we're exploring part one of our three-part segment on the global refugee crisis. The refugee crisis isn't going anywhere. In fact, it's growing. In 2017 alone, the number of displaced people rose by almost 3 million. At the same time, the United States has cut its refugee acceptance to 30,000 people a year, which is the lowest number since Congress passed the Refugee Act in 1980. Which makes me wonder, what do you think of when you envision a refugee? And why is there such a negative stigma around refugees in the United States? Can a refugee be an entrepreneur, a go-getter, a Forbes 30 Under 30 founder? Today, I'll be sitting down with Shakib, one of 2017's Forbes 30 Under 30, and the co-founder of an app that provides homework help to struggling students. We haven't said enough about the journey of a refugee. Please join us as Shakib, CTO of Toot, tells us about his journey from Iran to America. I was, I guess I was born in a, in a family, a Baha'i family. Baha'i is a religious minority in Iran. It's a religion that started in Iran 170 years ago, and my parents are Baha'is. Um, due to religious persecution, Baha'is don't have access to higher education in Iran. So when I turned 18, I could not go to college because I was a Baha'i. After the the 79 revolution, Baha'i started their own underground college. It's called B-I-H-E, Baha'i Institute for Higher Education. And it's not literally underground. Like they used to have a campus and government took over that campus, took all the devices and equipments that they had. So they got another campus and they took that too. So after that, they decided that all the classes should be in people's homes. Every Baha'i who attends that college comes to Tehran once a month. They stay with their friends. Some people volunteer, some Baha'is volunteer, open their doors to these uh, people, give them a place to stay. And then you get a message that calculus tomorrow, 9 a.m. at Jack's. (laughs) <laughs> or something like that. Not, uh, not Jack, but like yeah. Persian Jack. So, yeah, the professor shows up carrying a whiteboard. Kids show up in groups not to attract attention. Then you have your calculus class. All my childhood, I was in love with physics, and I wanted to study physics. But, of course, I knew I can't go to college. And BIHE did not offer physics. When I was 13, I started programming and I kept doing it so when I was 18 I was like what should I study I chose software engineering because I already knew it and I thought it's a pretty easy choice so I went to college there but after seven semesters um, realized there's no room to grow Um, started my own company didn't really work yeah it's also like Baha'is are not allowed to like they're all of these they're legally allowed but in practice they really can't Laws are perfect. If you read the laws, they're amazing. Every There's freedom for all. Everyone has equal rights. But in practice, that's not the case. That's- Women that don't have equal rights as men. Religious minorities don't have equal rights. It's Last awful. week, I was uh, reading this article that five of my friends got arrested in Iran a couple of while ago, and they got their court order to one year in prison. So these are like my childhood friends and like my family friends. 
and the reason they're going to jail is propaganda and these are like like the best citizens that country has all they think about is serving other people and like helping them and that's how they get persecuted yeah it's clear to see why shaq felt it was vital to leave his home family and life behind could you imagine if you had no justice system to depend on and if you or your children didn't even have the right to access proper education how far would you go to find freedom? Here's how far Shaq went. Um, I left Iran five years ago, and I fled to Turkey, where I applied for political how did asylum. You get to so I basically paid a smuggler to cross the border, and my dad gave me a ride to the airport. Got on a plane with my friend. We landed in a city close to the border. Um, got a cab to a village, and over there, the smuggler picked us up drove us uh, to the mountain. We jumped uh, behind a pickup truck. And over there, there were like 15 other people who were also crossing the border. They were from Afghanistan and they were a family. Um, that was the point that I was like more relaxed. I was like, okay, like there's a pregnant woman here crossing the border. If she can do it, I can do it. So, um, that, I guess that puts yeah. it into perspective. Maybe. Or she's just a but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> she she was definitely a strong one. She was pregnant. She had an infant, holding an infant, a three year old, a six year old. Yeah. Um, we helped her like carry her stuff. We didn't have anything with us. We we were we we didn't have anything with us. Um, the only things I had was like five hundred dollars hidden in my clothes and uh, a phone just to text my dad and say. I'm, I'm here. So we, we uh, drove in the mountain for four hours and then hiked for another four hours. The distance from Afghanistan to Turkey is far, like driving from Los Angeles to Maine by car far. This story made me wonder what or how this family ate during their travels. Where did this woman change her baby's diapers? What did she have to do to keep her kids quiet while crossing dangerous borders? My imagination ran wild as I put myself in this woman's shoes. But Shaq had obstacles of his own. It's, it's definitely easier to talk about it now. But uh, yeah, I have a lot of friends who did that. And so it's many of my friends hard. have just like crazier stories, like the things that happened to them. It's not even comparable to what I went through. Um, I just hiked, got to Turkey. Someone picked me up slept in a farm for the night and then went to the UN office and that's when I applied for political asylum and then I had my legal documents and I, the government tells refugees which city they can stay in so everyone's assigned a city so these are usually like industrial cities that need labor so because refugees are cheap labor yeah. So uh, I went to a city called Kayseri, and I stayed there for 16 months until the whole process was done, all the interviews, FBI security checks, medical checks, and mm -hmm. all the process of immigration. And then um, I sat in a plane. Did you know that less than 1% of refugees in camps obtain visas to relocate to any other country? Earlier this year, I had the opportunity to sit down with my mom, Liz. She's worked as a diplomat for 30 years in countries like Pakistan, Egypt, Jordan, and Ethiopia. She currently works in Frankfurt, Germany, overseeing the flow of USAID money to the Middle East and North Africa. So she probably knows what the fuck she's talking about. 
the vetting process that the U.S. government has is probably the most extreme of any country. Mm -hmm. So the chance of a terrorist getting through, I mean, it'd be easy for them to get a visa and come in and do what they wanted to do. These yeah. are people who are living in places that are unlivable. Mm -hmm. And um, the neighborhood that I live in, in, in Frankfurt, Germany, there's a lot of, of government housing nearby where mm -hmm. there are immigrants from all over. Um, a lot of them from Syria and what I, I've noticed I'm so impressed is that you can tell they're happy to be there and they're respectful of the country that they're living in and um, they're, they're, they're being productive citizens. They're being given a chance. They're being taken care of. They're learning the language. They're getting jobs. Um, you know, I, I see them everywhere all day long where I'm, when I'm walking around, just normal families, mm -hmm. kids in the strollers, going to the playground. And it, that's just an example yeah. of what they need. Mm -hmm. They need a place where they can live where they're not going to get bombed and killed. <laughs> yeah. And and I can tell these people are happy to be there mm -hmm. and trying to make their way in mm -hmm. a new country, even though it's foreign to them. Definitely. So. That's something I said a lot when I was doing work with refugees is that if we think of refugees as a burden, they're always going to be a burden. Yeah. But if you give them the tools to succeed. Yes, they're, absolutely. They're definitely Germany's a great example because they've taken on the most. Yeah. And they're making it work. Yeah, I think Germany's a really good example of that. It's so incredible to me that someone can endure this much and still be so passionate and successful. Culture shock and language barriers alone would stop most people. <laughs> what did it feel like when you came to America, like your first day here? First couple of months were just a culture shock. Like everything was different. Everything is different. Like the way people behave, the way things yeah. work. Did it feel safe or did it feel scary? Well, the first couple of months is just a blur. <laughs> it was the culture shock. And uh, I have a second cousin here. He picked me up from the airport. Is uh, that why you came to LA? Did yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. My plan was to go to Silicon Valley because um, I was in tech and like. Prize. Yeah, I did my research. Where should I go in America? Silicon Valley. But it's expensive. I had a thousand dollars, so I couldn't afford anything in Silicon Valley. So I landed in LA to stay with my second cousin for a while. You know, get over the shock. Um, get back on my feet, find a job, save some money, and then maybe go to Silicon Valley. And like later on, Sophia and I met, started this company, and I decided to stay in LA. Like first couple of months were just a culture shock. Like everything was different. Everything is different. Like the way people behave, the way things work. Shakib's perseverance is nothing short of incredible. When I asked him to speak to the current administration's policies on refugees, he said this. A lot of great things are being done by refugees here. The refugee population is the higher, the upper classes of every country usually. Because think about it, um, who can do what I did, come here from Iran? It needs to be someone who has friends outside of the country, has education, speaks in another language, English, right? Has access to internet, can do research and stuff. Yeah. These are, the, these natural filters filter the population of immigrants to yeah. the educated, higher classes of a society. So therefore, people who come to America as refugees are usually very well educated, very passionate. They're here to do great things, you know. Uh, they're fleeing limitation, usually by government, supplied to them. 
and they're just waiting to get here and do great things. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for part two of three, where we sit down with Zach Ingrassi, director, producer, and co-founder of Living on One. In part two, we discuss his experience living in the Zaatari refugee camp while filming Salam Neighbor and his insight on the current status of the refugee crisis. If you enjoyed this episode of Haven't Said Enough, then let us know. Help spread our message by liking, sharing, and subscribing. What else haven't we said enough about? Reach out to me via Instagram and Twitter at Alyssa Satara to join the conversation. The team at Haven't Said Enough is dedicated to continuing the conversation on important issues impacting our world. We support meaningful causes, and your support makes our voices even louder. Please go to haven'tsaidenough.com support for more ways that you can help.